You see, it's not just going to be you. When you're going to be the best you can be in 2024, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your loved ones and your friends and people, associates and people you know. Would you open your Bible, please, to that book of Colossians, chapter number 3. Colossians, chapter 3. Say, where is Colossians? Where is it? Well, it's New Testament. And it's past the four Gospels, past Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians. And then you get into these little, little guys, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Chapter number 3. So we're talking today about being the best you can be um, in 2024. And uh, for some people, that means being a success. You know, I was thinking about this, and I may be wrong, but I think almost every person on the face of the earth wants to be successful in some way, shape, or form. Um, they don't want to be a, a flop. That's not human nature. Most people, they want to be uh, happy. They want to be um, good at something. And um, they want to be successful. But what is success? What really is success? Does it, does it mean money? If you have a certain amount of money? There's an American survey group called Populous. And they did a recent survey within, within the last uh, six months. They surveyed 5,424 people on the subject of success. And they found that most Americans believe success is the ability to achieve the things that matter most to them. Now that sounds pretty reasonable. The ability to achieve the things that matter most to them. So in other words, they're saying it's not about money. It's about a meaningful life. However, think about this for a moment. My personal observation is that much of what people want requires money to get it. And, of course, prices go up for the very same thing. More expensive, and so it requires more money. And so, yeah, I, I think that somewhere in there, people are still after money, you know, to be honest. Many people today... They make the mistake, I think, a mistake of measuring success in terms of, of the richest or the fastest or the biggest. And what this means is that if you don't qualify for the top 5% in terms of money or speed or size, then you're not successful. And I disregard that. I don't believe that for a minute. And yet many people do. Of course, God, our creator, doesn't agree with that philosophy either. Apparently, everyone can have a successful life. But success, really, what is it? What does it really mean? What really is success? Does it mean things? If it doesn't mean money, does it mean things? Acquiring things in life that you want? Many people, they set for themselves goals by which they define success, such as getting a university degree or getting married or having children or owning a house or retiring in a comfortable lifestyle. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong 
with that little shopping list I just shared with you there. But here's the problem. University degrees today require colossal student debt. And many of these people get degrees and they spend the rest of their lives trying to pay off the debt. And a lot of them just can't. And by the way, in here in Canada, the Association for Canadian Studies, their survey found that 75% of Canadians do not think a degree is helpful in life. How does that sound to you? 75% of Canadians don't believe that having a degree is going to bring you success. That's interesting, isn't it? Now, the little shopping list I gave you there at a university degree, it had marriage in there too. So what's wrong with marriage? There's nothing wrong with marriage. I believe in marriage. God believes in marriage. But is that how you're going to define a successful life? I'll be successful if I can get married. Boy, be careful. You're opening yourself up pretty wide for a disappointment because marriage partners can leave. They can up and leave. Marriage partners can die. They can up and die. Or sometimes marriage partners can actually stay and make your life miserable. That's true. In, in the little shopping list, the same holds true for children. Oh, if only we could have children. And some people, after they get them, they don't want them. And what about owning a house? Well, nothing wrong with owning a house, but be careful because uh, housing markets and prices and values change up and down. This past week, I saw a little news article. A house, a couple bought this house two years ago in, in Ontario, in Brampton, Ontario. And they just sold it for a $640,000 loss. They lost $640,000 off their investment. What kind of investment is that? Well, that's houses for you. And what about retirement? Nothing wrong with retirement. Except retirement income can be eaten up with unexpected expenses, unforeseen medical bills. Many's a retired person has spent everything they've had trying to get their health back. So what I'm saying is that there's nothing wrong with an education. There's nothing wrong with marriage or children or houses or retirement. But they're not to be used as a way to measure your success. Because they'll be up one day and down the next. So then what is success? What is it really? When we study the Bible, we find that true success means to be the best you can be in the will of God. That is God's definition of success. I paraphrased it, mind you, but it, it means being the best that you can be in God's will. And yet still, we have to say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean? And again, we get our answers from God. <clears throat> but it's important that as we get going in 2024, we're only 14 days old. That's all. 14 days. We're two weeks old in this new year. And as we get started and get into 2024, we want to be the best we can be. Now, before we go any further, I'd like if we could just pause, have a word of prayer, and ask God to instruct us. Our Heavenly Father, we humbly ask that you would open the eyes of our understanding today to the truth as found in your scriptures, and help us, Lord, to really get a good handle 
on what it means to be successful and how we can be the best we can be this year. Father God, make this our best year yet, please, in many areas and bring glory to yourself. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I have to tell you this story. I I read this story this past week. A man wrote about his experience at an airport. This is what he wrote. I was waiting in line for a ride at an airport uh, in India when a cab pulled up. The first thing I noticed that the taxi was polished to a bright shine and the cab driver jumped out. He was an Ethiopian man, smartly dressed in a white shirt, black tie, freshly pressed black pants. He rounded the back of the car to open the passenger door for me and he handed me a laminated business card. Uh, And he said, my name is Wasu. And while I'm loading your bags into the trunk, I'd like you to read my mission statement on the back of this card. And so the man writes, he says, I read the card and I was amazed. It said, Wasu's mission statement, to get my customers to their destination in the quickest, safest, and cheapest way possible in a friendly environment. The guy said, this blew me away, especially when he opened the the cab door for me and I got in, I noticed the inside of the cab matched the outside. It was spotlessly clean. As he slid behind the wheel, Wasu said, would you like a cup of coffee? I have a thermos of regular and I have a thermos of decaf. I said jokingly, no, I'd prefer a soft drink. Wasu smiled. He says, no problem. I have a cooler up front here with me. I have regular and Diet Coke. I have an Indian smoothie drink called Lassi. And I also have water or orange juice. And the guy says, I was almost stuttering. He said, I'll take the Lassi since I've never had one before. And handing me my drink, Wasu said, if you'd like something to read, I have Good Housekeeping magazine. I have Reader's Digest. I have the Bible. I have a travel and leisure magazine. As we were pulling away from the curb, Wasu handed me another laminated card. It said, these are the radio stations I get and the music they play. If you like to listen, let me know. And as if that wasn't enough, Wasu told me he had turned the heater on and asked if the temperature was comfortable for me. And then he advised me of the best route to my destination for that time of day. He also let me know that he'd be happy to chat and tell me about some of the sights along the way, or if I preferred, he'd leave me to my own thoughts. The guy says, tell me, Wasu, have you always served your customers like this? And Wasu smiled in the rearview mirror, and he says, no, not always. In fact, it's only been in the last two years In my first five years of driving a taxi, I spent most of my time complaining, like all the rest of the cabbies do. And then one day, I heard about the power of choice. Power of choice means that you can be a duck or you can be an eagle. If you get up in the morning expecting to have a bad day, you'll rarely be disappointed. Stop complaining. Don't be a duck. Be an eagle. Ducks quack and complain. Eagles soar above the crowd. Wasu went on. He said, that truth hit me hard. It was all about my choices. I was always quacking and complaining. So I decided to change my attitude and become an eagle. 
So I looked around at the other cabs and the drivers. The cabs were dirty, the drivers were unfriendly, and the customers were always unhappy. So I decided to make some changes. Only a couple at first. But when my customers responded well, I made more changes. The man said, I take it all this has paid off for you. It sure has, exclaimed Wasu. In my first year as an eagle, I doubled my income from the previous year. And this year, I'll probably quadruple it. My customers even call me on my cell phone and make appointments. Wasu, the driver, he made a critical choice in his life, didn't he? He decided to stop quacking like a duck and start soaring like an eagle. I really like that story because, you know, it really illustrates, it's a good illustration of being the best that we can be and the positive ramifications that has on other people around us. You see, it's not just going to be you. When you're going to be the best you can be in 2024, it's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect your loved ones and your friends and people, associates and people you know. So, in Colossians chapter 3, if you look please at verse number 23, and read it out loud together with me. This is part of being the best you can be in 2024, by the way. It doesn't rhyme, I know it, but it sure means a lot. And folks that are watching online, you've got Colossians 3.23. You read out loud with us. You be part of this with us. Here we go, all together. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. See, there, right there is the truth. A lot of us, we do things unto men. We look around us and see what they're doing and we try to maybe, you know, match them or something. But we're not to do that. We're to go beyond that. There's a higher standard. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Make the Lord part of every part of your life. And what a difference it will make. You see, here's what I'm saying. If other men can run 10 miles and you can only run 5 miles, well, thank the Lord for those five miles, but run those five miles for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's how you be the best you can be in 2024. You look around and if other couples can have five children and you can only have one child, then you praise the Lord for that one child and you raise that one child for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. That's how you can be the best you can be in 2024. You look around and if, if someone is making $80,000 a year and you're only making $40,000 a year, well, you thank the Lord for that 40000 and you use that 40000 for the honor and glory of your Savior, Jesus Christ. This is how you be the best you can be. The Lord Jesus, before he was crucified, he was in the house of Simon the leper. A woman came with a... Special box, an alabaster box, a very expensive box. Inside this very expensive box was even something far more expensive, and that was a spikenard ointment. And she broke this box and anointed Jesus with this. The other disciples, they were sitting by and they saw this, and many of them had indignation. They said, why wasn't this sold you know, for a bunch of money and then that money given to the poor? By the way, Judas was one of those that piped up. And basically, Jesus said to them, let her alone. 
And then he said, she hath done what she could. If she were living today, she'd be the best she could be in 2024. You do what you can, not what you can't. You be the best you can be. Use everything you have for Christ's honor, for Christ's glory. This is how you be the best you can be. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, we learn this. And whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. That's 1 Corinthians 10.31. That'd be a good life verse for someone. Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. Chapter 9 verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Be the best you can be. Students in school, are you doing the best you can? Or are you doing just enough to get by? Employees at work, are you doing the best you can? Or are you doing just enough to keep the boss happy? You see what I'm saying? You have a higher calling, a higher standard, and higher glory and higher rewards too, I might add. Be the best you can be in 2024. Be the best husband you can be. Be the best wife you can be. Be the best son or daughter you can be. Be the best student you can be. Be the best employee you can be. Be the best faithful Christian you can possibly be in 2024. This may be your last chance. It may be your last year. And this is what it means to be successful. And this is what will give you the greatest joy as well. And so let's all make 2024 our best year yet. Last Sunday, we had Consecration Sunday. The time that we got on our knees, we humbled ourselves before the Lord Jesus and we said, all there is of me, Lord. You gave yourself for me, I give myself for you. That's consecration, where you give yourself to the Lord. Today, be the best you can be. Make that your decision to be the best. And so I want to take the next few minutes and I want to apply this lesson in four important areas of our lives. There's other areas but I've chosen four. And I suggest if you can take notes, you jot down a couple of notes. But here's point number one. Be dedicated to your daily devotions. Dedicate yourself to your daily devotions. A lot of Christians have devotions, but they're hit and miss. Here's one, there's another. A few days go by, maybe another. Maybe a week goes by. Maybe a few weeks have gone by. No daily devotions. No time of Bible and prayer. That ought not to be. For 2024, call it a New Year's resolution. Call it whatever you like. But dedicate yourself. Be dedicated to your daily devotions. Write down Psalm 1. The very first Psalm. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. I'll read it for you. Now this talks about the the righteous man. The man who, who knows the Lord in Psalm 1. It says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That means the Bible. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now I like the sounds of that. How can I get it? By being daily devoted to devotions. 
Does that make sense? It's a simple thing we can do and God promises to bless it. Give Jesus Christ the very first place in your life. Give him the first choice, the first place. Meeting Jesus daily for Bible study and prayer is the very best way to start each day. You say, but pastor, I'm very busy in the morning. When I get up, I barely have time to get dressed, have a coffee, and I got to be out the door. I got to catch a bus. I got to get in my car. I got to get to work. Well, I understand that. But why don't you plan to get up 15 minutes earlier? Oh, I never thought of that. Or, I don't know if I could do that. I stay up as late as I possibly can in order to get up as late as I possibly can. Well, just make a little shift. Just make a little change. How, listen, how important is Jesus to you anyhow? He's waiting there in the prayer closet to meet us. We need to oil the hinges on the doors of our prayer closets. We need to open our Bibles daily. Meeting Jesus daily for Bible study and prayer is going to be one of the best ways to start your day and it'll help guarantee that you can be the best you can be in 2024. I suggest you set aside at least 15 minutes. You know, when you really get into it, 15 minutes goes by pretty quick. Soon you'll want 20 minutes. No, it means I've got to set my, my clock an extra five minutes early. Yeah, do it. It's worth it. It's worth it. I've found my best time of fellowship with the Lord Jesus is in the prayer closet. That's what I've found. Being alone with God and God's word and praying. You say, well, what do I do for prayer? Well, we hand out prayer lists every Wednesday. We hand them out and we also publish them uh, and send them out on an email. So everyone gets these. You can use the prayer list to help you pray. And there's lots of things that need to be prayed for. People need your prayers. You might not think your prayers can do much, but I'll tell you, God knows how to take your prayers and how to invest them in all the right places. We need to be constantly daily adding and adding and adding the investment of prayer into the things of God. Now in the Gospels, here's something interesting. We see that Jesus got up early in the mornings in order to get out and meet with his heavenly Father. Now think about that. If Jesus, the very Son of God, needed to meet with the heavenly Father every day, don't you think you and I also need to meet with our heavenly Father? Don't you think? It makes sense. In 1 Peter, write that down. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. Write that down. It says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. That means that if you read your Bible and you pray, you'll grow. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Pray every day. Pray every day. Read your Bible. Pray every day. And you'll what? Grow. 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 Right, remember that song? Great little song. It is so true. So true. Read your Bible. How many times have you read your Bible? I mean cover to cover. How many times have you read your Bible through? You see, this is the the idea behind giving Bible reading certificates. Some years ago, we had a lady and her husband, a husband and his wife, a, a beautiful Christian couple attending our church. They moved out to the island. While they were here, she really got in the Bible reading habit. And now they were retired. They had more time on their hands. She could do this. 
But she set for herself a goal of reading through the Bible 100 times. That was her goal, to read through the Bible, cover to cover, 66 books, Genesis to Revelation, to do it 100 times. What do you think that would do for you if you could somehow read through the Bible 100 times? Would that give you a lot of Bible wisdom, Bible knowledge, do you think? I think it would do that and a whole lot more. She wrote me a letter this week. And she said, I'm so happy to send you the completion of all the remaining times of my Bible readings. She completed her hundred. It was amazing tutorial journey, she calls it, which I delighted to dig in every new journey, meaning when she started Genesis again, a brand new journey. Every time, every new time that I started, my eagerness grew. That's what happens when you read your Bible. There will always be the same eagerness, I hope, as the years go by. Because of the Bible reading program at Grace Baptist Church, I've learned so much. She hasn't learned so much from my preaching. She learned so much from reading God's Word. And that's the way it ought to be. And so she says, thank you for encouraging others to read our Bibles. I can't thank you enough for all the encouragement. Well, isn't that exciting? So we finished these. Hers has a, we did 98, 99, and 100. And 100, we made it a really big fancy one for her. 100 times through. Read your Bible, pray every day. That's why I say that you dedicate your daily devotions. Be dedicated to your daily devotions. Okay, quickly, number two. Ace your church attendance. Ace your church attendance. In Acts chapter 2, we have a brand new church, the very first church. All these people got saved, and here's what they did. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They aced their church attendance. When they had communion, they were there. When they had prayer meeting, they were there. When they had Bible study or preaching, they were there. They aced their church attendance. Now, it's human nature to miss a few here and there and not to be as circumspect as we should. And that's why God gave us Hebrews 10.25. You can jot that down. Hebrews 10.25. It says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The day approaching would be the day of Christ's coming, but more important, the day when we stand before the Lord ourselves and he looks through our lives. That day is approaching, folks, for every one of us. It's closer now than it has ever been. And we're not to forsake the the assembling of ourselves together like this. Church attendance is done primarily for the honor and glory of God. You are glorifying your Savior. Because in Ephesians, it tells us that Jesus died for the church. And if he died for the church, you are honoring Jesus by being in the church. It's as simple as that. It's done by faith. Because some days you might not feel like going to church. I'm going to tell you a little secret, and if you breathe a word of this, I'll deny it. There's been, in my 42 years of ministering, 
There's been a couple Sundays I didn't want to go to church. If it could happen to me, you think it might happen to you? It's kind of human nature. We all have a bit of a soft spot. And you may have a day you don't feel like going to church. Well, I'll tell you a little secret. God wants to bless you. And that very day that you're not feeling like much going to church may be the very day that God is going to answer your prayers and give you the wisdom and give you some blessing. And the devil is trying to discourage you from going. He doesn't want you to get the blessing. And so that particular day, I don't feel like going to church. Well, you have to go to church. Well, give me one good reason why I should go to church. Because you're the pastor. You have to go to church. You get the idea. There's going to be days it's going to happen. But in obedience to the word of God, the commands of our Lord, I'm going to go. I'm going to go by faith. Some Sundays, most Sundays, I hope you, you come to church because, boy, I really want to be with God's people. We don't want to worship the Lord. But for those days where you feel a little off. Now, I'm not talking about sick days where, you know, you're honking and, you know, stuff is coming out of you. Stay home. <laughs> Stay home and watch online. But for those other days where you just kind of emotionally, I'm not sure if I feel like I want to go. Remember, the old devil is behind that. Jesus is not discouraging you from coming. It's your enemy, Satan. Regular, faithful church attendance will help you to grow in many ways and help you, it'll give you your best year yet, is what I'm saying. And look, don't just come to church, but here's another tip. If you take part in helping, in helping out in some way, some ministry or something like that, there are even more benefits. I want to give you just a few benefits just to coming to church only. Just regularly coming to church. I want to give you a few of them. Number one, and this is proven by studies, it reduces stress. It reduces stress. If you battle with stress at work or at school or home and life and whatever, I want, I want to share some good news with you. Coming to church helps to reduce stress. And because of that, number two, it makes you healthier. Coming to church will make you healthier because you get your stress reduced. Number three, coming to church is an encouragement to other people. Imagine if you came and no one else was here, except maybe the pastor up here and one of the ushers maybe. You know, not even the organist or the pianist shows up. No one wants to come. You came and I'm here and we got an usher. There's three of us. We're looking at each other. How encouraging is that? But when we all get together, the happier we'll be. We all get together and iron sharpeneth iron. Boy, is it ever encouraging to see others in church. Even though you may not know all their names, it's encouraging. God's people are in God's house. Number four, the things you will learn from the preaching and Bible teaching will make you biblically smarter. You ought to be. You ought to be growing in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. It'll make you smarter. Because of that, number five, it'll make you happier. You will be happier by coming to church. Number six, it increases your spiritual power. Jesus taught us that faith, even the size of a grain of mustard seed, is all is required to move mountains. Sometimes we don't even think we got that much you know, the size of a grain of mustard seed. 
Folks, you've got a lot more than what you can realize. And we've got to realize what we've got. And coming to church helps you increase in your spiritual power. But also, number seven, coming to church regularly protects your marriage and your children. Now, we've got a special promotion going on for the month of February. It's called Fruitful February, in which you can, by faith, say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something. I'm going to sign a piece of fruit. I'm going to sign an orange. I'm going to be in the four Sunday schools, the four Bible studies, 10 o'clock, that's what the 10 means, 10 o'clock on Sunday in the month of February. I'm going to do it for you, Lord. It's my gift to you. And you do that and see how God blesses you. Now, I've got to move on quickly. Number three, these are four areas that I think you can, you can make decisions in and you can have the best year yet. One, number one, what's the first area? What is it? Devotions. What's the second area? Church attendance. The third area. Maintain a magnificent marriage. Maintain a magnificent marriage. I know it doesn't apply to everyone here yet, but maybe one day it will. Maintain a magnificent marriage. Write down Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 31. Ephesians 5.31. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Understand that God is the one who invented marriage. God designed it. He invented marriage. He instituted the very first marriage. He gave away the first bride. He brought Eve to Adam. And through marriage, we can develop and grow even more. Here are some suggestions. Don't allow the honey to drip out of the honeymoon. They say on average, the honeymoon lasts about a year. And then after one year, then it becomes, you know, ho-hum. It becomes business as usual. They take each other for granted. And it's downhill from there. Don't let that happen. You know, stay in love. Don't let the honey drip out of your honeymoon. Go on dates together. If you have come to this church for anywheres up to one year, if you're married, if you've come to this church, you would have gotten on your anniversary a happy anniversary card from me. In the card, what do I always give you? What? Raise your hand if you've got one, if you've ever got one. You, you know what it is then. What is it? It's a, yeah, from where? Tim Horton. And I always write on there, please go on a little TH date. Yes? A Tim Horton date. Now, I only give you 10 bucks. It's enough to get you in the door. <laughs> it's a start. Okay, you can have a coffee and a croissant or something like that, right? So, you know, you're not going to take the whole family out and pig out or something, but it's just meant for husband and wife. And um, it's just meant to encourage togetherness. And I do it for all of the married couples. When you have an anniversary, you get a card from me. When you have a birthday, you get a card from me. And in the anniversary cards, I put in those little TH dating certificate permission vouchers. <laughs> you are allowed to take your loved one hand in hand, go into Tim Horton and 
spend like crazy up to $10 (laughs) and just have a little date together. I've sent out, I don't know how many of those I've sent out over the last several years. I think I've, I've got two written responses. Pastor, thank you. We went out on a date. I think I've only gotten two. I would like to hear a little more feedback, you know. I've invested a lot into your marriage. I deserve a little bit of feedback. But don't allow the honey to drip out of the honeymoon, okay? Uh, Then pray for each other. It's amazing how many couples don't do that. What? We're allowed to pray for each other? Yes, pray for each other. Pray for each other daily, for each other's health, for each other's spiritual growth, for each other's physical needs. Um, Next suggestion, husband, love your wife with all your heart. Ah, but she knows. She wants to hear it. She likes a little feedback. Like every day, she'd like you to just take a moment and tell her that you love her. Oh, I don't know if she'd like that. Hey, ask her. Don't take my word for it. Ask her. Now, you have to ask her nice. Honey, do you really want me to tell you I love you? No, no, I don't want you to tell me. But you ask her, sweet, you know, honey, would you like me to tell you every day that I love you? She might say, oh, I wouldn't mind. Oh, sure, you could even do it twice a day. You know, I would venture a guess. I could be wrong. She might even enjoy if you gave her a hug once a day. You can work out the details on that. But husbands, love your wife and communicate that. And wives, this is important. Unless you're a husband, you won't fully understand it. But wives, honor your husband and care for your husband. Oh, it's only so-and-so. I mean, he's a big boy. I know he's a big boy. He was smart enough to marry you, right? But he needs a little... Maintenance as well, watering and feeding. And men need to feel like they're a little bit of a knight in shining armor. A little bit of significance goes a long way. Wives, honor your husbands and care for your husbands with all your heart. Listen, I'm saying don't settle for a ho-hum marriage. This could be our last year together. And then Jesus will take us home. If it's our last year, let's make it our best. Have, a, have a, a vibrant marriage. Make, make your marriage live. Don't settle for a ho-hum marriage. The light that shines the furthest shines the brightest at home. And quickly, number four of my four areas is do your best in business. Do your best in business. Now your Bible is open at Colossians chapter 3. I want you to look at verse 22. It says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service, as men pleasers. Say, what does that mean? It means this. Quick, look busy, the boss is coming. Uh Uh-oh, I get real busy, and then the boss goes away. Uh, We throw down the pencil, we sit back, or whatever. You see, that's being a men pleaser, don't do that. But in singleness of heart, fearing God... You'll stand before God one day and give account of how you behaved yourself at work. 
And so too many people, too many Christian people, have crummy attitudes when it comes to work. I don't know, maybe it's something about the Canadian culture. Maybe it's the air we breathe and the water we drink, but too many of us have crummy attitudes when we go into work. We're all fine and happy after work. Boy, we're excited. Hey, we say, it's the weekend. Wow, it's Friday. Hallelujah, I'm out of here. We're all as happy as can be, but then come Monday, oh, purgatory. Oh, back to the grind. Oh, man. So, Listen, whether you own your own business like our taxi driver, Wasu, whether you own your own business or whether you work for a business, be the best you can be. And I want to give you some suggestions. Number one, be at work on time. Be at work on time. And put in a full day's work for a full day's pay. Don't be reaching into your employer's pocket and stealing money. If they give you half hour for lunch, don't you be taking 45 minutes. That's stealing. Maintain a sterling reputation for honesty and uprightness. It goes a long, long way amongst men, but it is really what pleases the Heavenly Father. Because if Jesus were working at your place of employment, if Jesus were doing your job, would Jesus take 45 minutes on a 30-minute lunch hour? No, you know he wouldn't. Jesus wouldn't be taking company property and putting them in his pockets and carrying them home either. <gasps> Pastor, you looking through my kitchen window again? No, this is just human nature. People everywhere are doing it. Just because others are doing it doesn't mean that we should do it. If everyone else jumps off a cliff, right? Doesn't mean we should. Something else, number two, don't gripe and complain. Otherwise, you're quacking like a duck. You realize that. You're not an eagle at all. You're just a duck. Cry, you know, oh, complain, 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 griping over working conditions and people you work with and people you work for and the time of day and the weather and, you know, gripe, complain. Don't do that. Number three, respect your employer. God put him or her there. Respect your employer and pray for them. You know, pray they walk off a... Long walk off a short pier. I pray they jump off a cliff. Don't, don't pray like that. You pray for them to be the best they can be. You pray for their success and pray for their salvation too. Pray for their salvation. And something else, number four, be thankful for your paycheck. What would you rather have? No paycheck? Be thankful. Be thankful for what God has allowed you to have. Remember, if others are making 80 and you're making 40, thank God for it. And use the 40 for God's glory. And by the way, a little secret, 40, can, 40 dedicated to God can go a lot further than 80 selfishly kept. Remember that. You can do a whole lot more with God's blessing. So be content with what you have. Number five, maintain an excellent testimony to your unsaved fellow workers. It doesn't mean to be a holy Joe, holier than thou kind of thing. It means to be a God-fearing man or woman. When you walk into work, people know they may not agree with your religion, but they know that you're upright and honest and moral. Last one, number six. In the lunchroom, remember to bow your head and pray before you eat. But others are watching me. That's why you want to bow your head and pray. That's exactly why as a good testimony 
for Jesus Christ. Now, we have to conclude here. These are only just four areas that I've given you. There's other areas, important areas. But look again, please, in Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 24. It says, Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You serve God himself. Number, and verse 25. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done. And there is no respect of persons. Just because you're saved does not exempt you from getting chastised by God if you misbehave. If anyone should behave, it ought to be us born-again Christians. The world looks at us. And when we misbehave, it drives them away from Christ. That's when they call us hypocrites. When they see us doing things we shouldn't do. Well, I want you to see in these last two verses, God will bless you when you make good decisions. That's what we learn here. The Lord will bless you. Because here's the, here's the bottom line, folks. Your life is not determined so much by what you want. It's not determined by what you want. It's determined by the decisions you make. You can want something all day long, but it's until you decide that's when it's going to come together for you. And therefore, start today. Start making some good decisions. Pastor, you said four areas there. Boy, I'd be lucky if I could do one. Then start with one. Start with one. That's what Wasu did. He started with one or two changes. And then when he started getting good feedback, he was able to do more. You be the same way. You make 2024 the very best year that you've ever had. Now, I read a story this past week that helps us to illustrate this principle. It's a story about a dairy farmer. He wasn't a huge, huge dairy farm. It was, it was modest, but he had several cows. And he had a son. And he would say to his son, when you turn 12, when you turn 12 years old, I'm going to tell you the secret of life. Oh, daddy, tell me now, tell me now. No, son, you have to wait until you're 12. Well, it was quite a struggle for the little fellow. But finally, he turned 12. And on his birthday, he said to his dad, I'm 12, I'm 12. Tell me, dad, what is the secret of life? And so the wise father sat down with his son. And he looked at him and he, son, he said, son, this is the secret of life. Yes, yes, Father, I'm listening. Listen, son, here it is. Cows do not give milk. And there was a moment of silence. And as the boy looked and said, Father, what are you talking about? Our cows give lots of milk. And the father said, No, son, you didn't hear me right. Cows do not give milk. You have to get up at four o'clock in the morning. You have to get dressed. You have to go out of the warm house. You have to walk across a corral filled with manure. You have to go into the barn. You have to turn on the light. You have to get the stool and sit down beside the, the cow. You have to get the bucket and put it under the cow. And you have to milk the cow yourself. Otherwise, there will be no milk. Cows do not give milk. You have to milk them. I read that story and I thought, boy, you know, that's pretty good advice from a father to a son. And that means this. 
Every one of us, me too, all of us, we need to make good decisions. You need to make a decision today that's going to affect 2024 for your life. You need to be like Wasu and realize that you can quack like a duck or you can soar like an eagle. And now is the time to make a decision. I've given you four areas. Maybe there's another area in your life you're thinking about that you could do better in, that you could put the Lord first, that you could be the best you could be. Your decisions are what's going to determine your life in 2024. And a year from now, if we, if we have that much time, a year from now, as you look back on 2024, you may have some regrets. Oh man, I wish it had been better. I wish my grades in school had been better. I wish my work at work had been better. Someone else got the promotion, not me. Make a decision today, maybe concerning your daily walk, your devotional walk with Jesus Christ, maybe your regular church attendance, maybe the maintenance of your marriage, maybe how you behave yourself at work. But make a decision today. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes now for prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.